Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health Option show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is still on hiatus working on big projects. There's big fun to be had in our future. Boy, howdy. Wow. Sherry's on it. And you know how that is when Sherry's on it. It's really, you know, stuff is happening. Uh, so today I'm delighted to say we have a returning popular guest, uh, Jack Tips, a wellness whiz. And we'll be getting going with him in just a couple of minutes. Uh, this is one of those shows that I want to remind people right now that you're going to want to listen to again. And to do that, the easiest way is about 10 to 15 minutes after we end of the show to go back to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the blog talk page, and the replay link will be there in the feed. And then also you can go to any of your popular podcast aggregators, basically fancy speak for an application that you just follow shows on. Uh, Stitcher is a really easy one because it works on all platforms, or iTunes, kind of works on all platforms. And you can search for Sherry Edwards in any of the over 700 and some odd hours of shows uh, will be there. The podcast aggregators usually take about an hour or so after the show to get the feed. Stitcher is really uh, easy to use and handy because if when you hear something that you want to share with people, there are links built right into Stitcher applications so that you can just share the show directly to other people, which I find to be. And as I say, I, I just from already chatting with Jack backstage, I know there's going to be things you're going to want to listen to. I have one short, positive, curious announcement. And soon as I say this, you'll understand why I say curious. Bacardi, really? Bacardi. Bacardi and Lonely Whale to remove one million plastic straws to ensure hashtag the future doesn't suck. So Lonely Whale is an organization that is working on stopping plastic straw madness. Uh, those are my words. Because of the amount of destruction and pollution, and they don't even ever talk about phytoestrogens, but just everything that plastic does to our environment. And plastic straws are really just disgusting in the environment. And their initiative will kick off in London this summer with a goal of eliminating 50 million plastic straws from the U.K., and the senior vice president of corporate responsibility for Bacardi, Rick Wilson, said in the announcement, single-use plastic items are among the most collected pieces of trash in our oceans. And we're urging our consumers to add no plastic straw, please, to every drink order so together we can make impactful change. And I went to a restaurant recently where they actually gave me an old, this is like a flashback to childhood, an old paper straw so that when that straw gets sown in the waste or it can actually be composted, we're not adding waste to landfill or something that's completely not recyclable or reusable or re-anything, plastic straws. Uh, basic old paper straws that work really well and don't hurt animals in the ocean. So that's really exciting and odd, as I said. Bacardi? Not something I'd ever thought I'd use as an announcement. Uh, so there's that. I'll post that in the show, lo show notes and put that in the chat link. And now I will introduce our guest. Wellness whiz, Jack Tips, has dedicated his career advancing the application of natural health practices and bringing to bear the latest research in his own clinic, as well as passing on his vast knowledge to others. His teaching style has been honed to cut through the scientific chatter to the true essence of the latest natural health research. As a natural health consultant, Wellness Whiz, Tips, has touched the lives of thousands of people with his keen insights and foundational belief that he stands in service to the body's innate vitality from which optimal health originates. Jack joins us to discuss how the state of our psychobiome affects every aspect of our total wellness. Welcome, Jack. Well, howdy, Richard, and howdy to everybody. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always fun to chat with a kindred spirit. <laughs> so I'm going to refer everybody to private shows, and I'll put this in the show notes, the other shows we've done with Jack. So I'm not going to go into a long, like, you know, how did you start? Where did you come from? We know you're possessed. We love that about you. My first question is, is there any part of the human system that is not affected by the microbiome? I think uh, I'm, I'm always a little cautious about absolutes, but the, the, the answer is no. 
um, it, the bacteria relations, and here, I'll give you the basis for this, um, the, within each of our cells there's something called mitochondria, and the, we all know now I think people are becoming more aware they make our energy of life. They're, and, and in medicine they're tied into all chronic degenerative and autoimmune diseases are really mitochondrial diseases. So suddenly these little organelles, these little power plants that make our life energy in our cells are vastly important, but they're not human DNA. They're bacterial DNA. So literally, if we know DNA can talk to DNA by vibratory rate, as long as they're the same sequence, um, now you've got bacteria in the gut, bacteria on the skin, bacteria in the nose. Um, all of these species literally can have resonance, um, which now is being looked at epigenetically, meaning these, a bug on your skin can trigger your immune system within, the bugs in the gut, there's a number of species that talk directly to the brain. They do that three ways, but they, they talk to the brain, and the brain talks back to these bacteria. So you said, is there anything in the body that's not affected? Um, it really does seem like it's universal that the answer is no. Everything is affected by these species. And... I'm gonna. There's an opening phrase here, and then I'm gonna ask a, a question around this. I've heard you say, "Love your bacteria, and they will love you," which leads me to the question: Are what are the microbiomes' influence on our thoughts, feelings, and I think ultimately our actions? You know, I mentioned uh, a minute ago that there are kind of three ways that the gut bacteria talk to the brain. And I'll, I'll explain those in just a minute, but I wanted to say well, science is starting to find that when the human being has its full complement of biodiverse bacteria in the gut, the brain is happier and healthier, the cell metabolism is happier and healthier, and that each of these different species can they, they process different nutrients, they process different foods, they create different metabolites, and literally the cells in the body and the brain are looking for those metabolites to know that all is well out there in the world, that we're healthy and happy, that we're nourished. And so we have a, a system that's, that's seeking this information, whether it be a biochemical metabolite so the the gut bacteria process a food they excrete metabolites and the body uses those metabolites one of the most astounding examples of that one way of communication is that there's around a, at least a dozen species that can take a leaf and metabolize it into folate the b vitamin b9 and they can methylate it, and now you have methylated folate, methylfolate, that can help the cells with their detoxification processes. So let's just segue that over to this whole huge discussion now where some 40% of the American population is likely to be something called MTHFR, which is just they have an enzyme missing that methylates the folate in the cells and they can't detox as well. In the old days, we called them pathological detoxifiers and we did a lot of liver programs for these people. But now it's really coming around that 40% of the population doesn't have to go buy methylated B vitamins. That wasn't nature's plan or get an injection in the butt uh, with all these B vitamins in kind of a heroic effort to crush through the, the cellular metabolism that these vitamins were supposed to be made in the gut for those people. And this is biochemical individuality. This is biodiversity of our species so we can adapt and survive on this planet from all the diseases. Some win, some lose, as we know through history. And so this one little process, so these metabolites of the bacteria in our gut are supporting our brains and supporting our immune system, supporting our very cells to do what they need to do. So 
now in the 21st century, we've been killing these guys with antibiotics. We're killing these guys with the antibiotics in the in the meat of the uh, American meat industry, in the farmed fish uh, they, that have antibiotics in them. We're constantly disturbing these species. We're drinking chlorinated and fluoridated water in our municipal water, which is also insulting to these microbiome species, and so they mutate, they die off. We've historically flooded our bodies with processed foods where we can't support the colonies, and so we've reached a critical point in our evolution and our relationship with Mother Earth where we haven't taken care of our best friends, the, the bacteria. And just to finish the thought for people that have a pencil in their hand, the, the second way the gut bacteria talk to the brain is through the enteric nervous system that connects with the vagus nervous system that goes directly to the brain. There's nerve impulses. There's chemicals that go into the blood and the lymph and cross the blood-brain barrier. And thirdly, the fact when I said DNA talks to DNA, and this is really a basis for a good form of telepathy, that or why sometimes family members know if one has been injured or they know a, a loved one is not dead when they're assumed dead or, or they can kind of read the other person's mind a little bit as they have so many gene sequences that are similar, they're getting gut instinct and it's almost, in, in a sense, telepathic. So anyway, the bacteria create an ambiance and a resonance that rings truth with DNA, and we're looking for it because our cells want to know what do I bring out of the DNA archive? Do I transcribe health, or is there a disease process? What's the best I can do? How do I bring out the best of health according to the person's genetic blueprint? It's called RNA transcription. And, and so our cells are constantly looking at how do I read the environment? Do I, uh, do I have an insult? Is there a, a cholera, you know, a vibrio in the water? Or is there a poison in the water? Or what do I do? And so they're constantly seeking and talking with the immune system and with the brain. So when you mentioned, Richard, the, the, the psychobiome, these are the specific species uh, we call them probiotics, that communicate directly with the brain uh, through the nervous systems, through their metabolites. The brain is looking for them. And if we don't have them, now we can go into the research of GAPS and, and some things that uh, people and, and psychiatrists have been talking about for 20 years, that GI tract disturbances equals brain disturbances and now there's clearly documented correction of schizophrenia, attention deficit disorder, autisms, by correcting the gut bacteria. And so this gut-brain connection has it's been around, it's got traction. Now there's literally hundreds of research studies. But if your tummy is ailing, then your brain is ailing, your neurotransmitters are off, and a person can have anxiety and depression, inferiority complexes, moodiness, mood swings, all of that because these are reflected by changes in the gut. So there's your gut-brain connection, and that's the psychobiome. And it's a lot of what you're saying in signaling makes me think of Bruce Lipton's early talks, first couple of times we interviewed uh, Bruce, was him talking about when he first came out, I'll call it came out, uh, <laughs> talking not just as a, you know, medical trainer. But so Mike Margaret guy might have it. something <laughs> to say yes, on exactly, that. Exactly, there is that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but really get it, when he first came out and he started talking about really listening, you know, that our cells are really listening to everything, not just... Uh, you know, I mean, it's. I kind of think of it as the whole the whole system is set up for survival. Since we were, you know, crawling out of caves, running away from dinosaurs, the whole system is set up to survive. So our system is really listening to all the signals, 
And that's really what he really painted out so great, very much like you're saying, is that the cells are listening to all these signals, and the microbiome seems to be, to me, kind of the leader of the pack. Oddly enough, we think of the brain as all the signals, but it's really the brain that's listening to the microbiome going, is this need help? Do we need this? Should we eat that? I mean, if we pay attention, it's really amazing how we can be a self-winding system that if we're intuited, there's a reason reason why I feel, and this, uh, there's a question in here, you know, speak more about that thing about that, you know, that a lot of people say, use the phrase something like, you know, do you feel it in your gut or you're instinctual or, you know, how do you feel or what, how do you, what's that, how's that hit you psychologically to talk all about? How do you feel that in your gut? So that seems like it's a term that's been around for a long time. And there's a reason why you have all this information that's now like, oh, we should listen to the gut. Really? Not kidding. Uh, oh, know. gosh, yes. And um, I did want to uh, also uh, to acknowledge uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton. And if any of your readers have not read The Biology of Belief and some of his earlier research, um, really I'm going to have to give it the big thumbs up and it'll, it'll be an awakening uh, to understand what uh, Bruce has brought forth for, for humanity, um, to understand the interconnectedness of all life. I mean, it's not coming from, let's say, a... a tacit religious uh, document, you know, we're all one and that kind of thing. He got it from the science, you know, so he's looking into the uh, organelles in the cells and and finding these links. And um, I think one of the most influential things for him, from him for me um, was how we can raise an infant and increase their brain power, increase their music and mathematics and, and philosophy uh, type of facets to their brain, whereas if we're abusive to that, that infant, we, we bring out more of the reptilian brain and the survival and the, the fight. And so literally, um, he was explaining how the mother's heartbeat and breastfeeding was so critically important uh, with that nurture to the early infant, um, and then he proved it all through scientific studies about brain development. So it's absolutely wonderful things that Bruce has done. Now that I've kind of sung my praises of Bruce, um, let's go back to your question, and do you mind rephrasing it uh, one more time for me? It well, it really is that about instinct, right? Sorry, I drifted instinct. off. That, and, yeah, uh, a, sorry, we both. Yeah, no, it's about gut instinct. Talk about my, my 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 gut instinct was all excited about <laughs> uh, some kudos for Bruce, and then they all got sidetracked. Okay, um, we've all had this feeling, and a lot of people can relate to it. Maybe even as a child, when they were playing hide and seek, and they're behind the tree, and here comes the seeker. And they're just three feet away, and they haven't been found yet. And, and you get this feeling in your chest, in your gut, and the enteric nerves are tingling, and you, you, you get this feeling right before you're discovered. And, and so people kind of get that inner nerve charge, and that's what's going on. The, the, the nerves there in the gut, which are all wired in to uh, the particularly the colon, um, they're, they're communicating uh, viscerally our, either our safety, our threat, um, that about to be discovered, and, and those uh, more atavistic or ancient uh, survival traits are there. So um, when people talk about the gut instinct, of course it's very real. And I would say, number one, for people who want to have more gut instinct, because uh, I think we really need it today more than ever, because it seems like, you, at least here in Austin, everybody, whether they're mowing yards or they're doing handyman work or something, they're all trying to take people for all they can get. Everybody's on a, you know, dog-eat-dog -dog 
kind of thing. And sometimes you meet a very kind-eyed person, and they tell you, you know, they're all, you know, good and everything. And then if if you get into a relationship with them, or just think about uh, significant other relationships, and all of a sudden you find out, hopefully without marriage, <laughs> that the person's a jerk, and they're only being nice. And so if if only we had a way to cut through the bull, as we say in Texas, and 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 get to the truth. And so the more we tune in and are sensitive to our, our gut, we get more intangible clues. And these bacteria have been in a survival mode for millions of years. And so literally by what we eat and the feelings that approach us in the front and our tummies, these are direct communications to the brain and just everybody has them, but some people don't listen or some people override because they wish for something. And so they don't have an honest relationship with their gut. So for people wanting to become more intuitive, um, it certainly would behoove that person to ensure that they had complete biodiversity in the gut microbiome and that they had a healthy, happy microbiome. There's an old saying that you you can't get a pure note from a cardboard violin, hmm. to borrow that from Leonard Cohen. Um, but you can't get a pure note from a warped violin. You, you, you get that Stradivarius uh, note out of uh, aligned molecules and resonance and all of that. So that's what we have to do with our tummies. And to get that, we've got to have the right bacteria. Now, pathogens are the cardboard to us. The pathogenic species um, are increasing inflammation, increasing the immune system's activity, and producing metabolites that ring alarms in the brain and the immune system and in the cells raises the set point of inflammation throughout the entire body. This is why a person can eat sugar and get a joint pain. The bacteria have eaten the sugar. They produce metabolites. The metabolites go into the blood. They're aggravating, and then they're swelling and and, and inflammation in the joint because that's the person's weak link. So as we said starting off, everything comes back to the gut. It's just amazing how everything comes back to the gut. Uh, I, I have a, I hadn't planned on this, but I have a question from chat, which it fits right into this, actually. This person just had some surgical procedures. So they were on a round of antibiotics or two post, you know, during and post. What are your suggestions for recovery to get back to that, exactly what you're talking about, being able to pay attention to the gut, that we're supporting the gut. How do we get the gut back to a stable place after that kind of event? I would say first and foremost, uh, bless the antibiotics um, for preserving and protecting life and allowing the um, opening of the abdomen and the, the work that was done and that was necessary. Uh, secondly, we should have a concern that some, maybe some species, some probiotics have been killed off. Other species may have been mutated because they, the bacteria themselves have, in a biofilm, they have a division of labor, and the bacteria will have ones that, that are like soldiers out in the, the front of the, the frontiers, and they sample the antibiotic and then they figure out how to mutate around it, and then they pass that information on to the rest of the bacteria so that they can mutate and not be killed by it. And so a lot of what the antibiotics do, they kill the planktonic bacteria, the ones that are out free floating around, moving through the GI tract or moving through the body. But the ones that are in the the biofilms, they change and they produce different metabolites and they and as they change they may quit making the disturbing metabolites and so the person thinks they're well um they're no longer having the effects of the bacteria but the 
mutated species inevitably are more virulent because if you push somebody around, pretty soon they're going to start swinging punches back. And that's what's happening when we alter the bacteria. They are fighting for their survival, and then you'll have the faction there in the biofilm saying, well, we've got to be proactive. Let's, let's, go, let's go kill something <laughs> or something like that, see. And, and so we alter the gut bacteria. So now your person that, that needed two rounds of antibiotics the the thing to do is to number one realize that now you need to take probiotics well the handicap of taking probiotics is there's only 35 45 species that are made out of 600 to 1000 that you might need so we've only been able and I know most of the species in capsules are not even human um so you know, it's not the perfect answer, but it's helpful. And so no matter what label you look at on what probiotic, they're all dipping into the same bucket of what can be put in a capsule. And that's what we use. So I'm just the first one to say, well, we have some crutches on with these species because uh, we've not made them. Recently in June, a company came out with three new species. Mm. Uh, human base that no one has been able to encapsulate before because you have to keep them dormant. You have to keep them alive in the capsule. So they have to kind of, you know, go take a nap and wait for your beautiful environment of 98.6 degrees and the moisture in the gut, and then they mm. decide to wake up. So number one, the person does need probiotics. Um, in particular, the, uh, the psychobiome probiotics and because there's limitations there now here's the real key you start colonizing your bacteria with prebiotics that means the foods that the good guys want to eat coincidentally that's most of our vegetables and a lot of herbs and spices which uh, throughout history the herbs whether it's dill or oregano or basil they kill the bad guys but the good guys are adapted to them, and so eating basil and you know uh, the, the the culinary spices, sage, and so forth, they cultivate the good guys, and they irritate and drive off the bad guys. So there was that movie, uh, Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams, and there was a tagline in that movie: "If you build it, they will come." So I've never really had despair that the antibiotics have wiped out species and you can never, ever, ever get them back. I think you can, but you have to be on your true uh, genetic diet. You have to have the plants. Um, certainly use some probiotics to help out so that you don't get more pathogens filling the niches, pathogens being opportunistic, you know, they often, I think candida was the first fungus that was called opportunistic. The yeast fungus comes first. And we don't want the opportunistic pathogens to take over and then create higher levels of inflammation. And that's been one of the banes of taking antibiotics. It gets you over the sore throat or the child gets over the ear infection, but then their level of inflammation raises. And uh, 20 years later, they're that chronic inflammation is, has led them into other disease expressions. So it was a short-term gain and sometimes a life-saving short-term gain. But as a, as a practice, medicine has been terribly, terribly negligent in guiding people to get the good species back. And now with... Uh, the food, um, the modern agriculture, every glass of milk, every bite of uh, hot dog and beefsteak and farmed fish, people are, are dumping more antibiotics into their system, mutating their, their gut microbiome. So I would say you got to eat organic. you got to get lots of vegetables. If you are tuned into fermented foods, you should be doing the water kefir and the sauerkrauts raw that, that are teeming 
with Lactobacillus species and, and transient species that, like Johnny Appleseed, they pass through your gut. Sometimes it takes them two or three weeks after you eat that sauerkraut to, for them to get pushed downstream. And all the while, they're, they're making the energy supply for the colon to work properly, thus you don't have constipation. They're making, oh, uh, propitionate and acetates and uh, butyrates and things that the colon sites need and that the species that live in the colon, particularly the bifido species, they're making food and, and nourishment uh, while they're passing through. So Johnny Appleseed went out west and, you know, threw apple seeds everywhere and planted fruit trees so that the animals and the Native Americans and the pioneers could all have uh, a fresh apple in the fall. And um, that's what these good species do. So um, I don't want to be knocking probiotics. I just wanted the reality check that at minimum a person probably should have a balance of over 600 species in their gut. So taking 10 or 12 or 20 in a probiotic is is nice, but it's not the whole shebang. So what are we it's it's really steering us to nature's law. And that is your gut species are determined by your genetics, by your diet, by your culture by your geographic region, what's in the food, what's in the soil, what's in the air, the bacteria, and by your immune system. And now your immune system will be looking, what's called circulatory IgA, it's, it's looking at all of these bacteria that are coming down the hatch from the food, and it's saying, okay, you're a good guy, just stay in the gut and don't bother me in the body. Oh, you're a bad guy. We're going to attack you. And then there's sometimes there's ones that are, well, you're kind of on the borderline. You're sort of a good guy. I tell you what, if you were to mutate a little bit, now you go this way, I'm going to inflame and I'm going to, you know, arrest you and put you in jail. But if you go this way and you become more beneficial, then I'm not going to bother you and you can prosper. So the immune system is directly engaged with cultivating or terraforming our guts. And so when we get rid of the pathogens, and that's one of the blessings of the antibiotic at this point, if you have to, you know, and you have to know I'm, I'm greatly opposed to the use of antibiotics in light of the herbal tradition, but uh, sometimes they, you know, antibiotics save lives. I think my one example is you get gut shot on the battlefield, it's not time to drink chamomile tea. It's time to get an antibiotic because you've got fecal bacteria all in your cavity. And, um, and so, you know, antibiotics are a, a tremendous blessing. But we've gone, it was probably the one-trick pony idea where medicine didn't really have any other silver bullets that were genuinely working, and the penicillin came along and, kind of saved the medical profession uh, because now they are true heroes. But now they throw that at everything, and now we're suffering all the collateral damage, and then you put some dentist on top of that that mm. want to CYA if you get a bacteria into your, into your bloodstream and they clean your teeth, and it might you know, cause pericarditis or endocarditis or something. And so we, uh, everybody just rode high on this bandwagon, of antibiotics meanwhile now for since about about 1950 we've been really insulting and fighting our own our own guts and i think that's going you know, to let people ruminate on that for a minute we're our own worst enemy uh, you know and there's actually been conversations coming out of science and medicine of like what if we just killed all the bacteria what if we could do a scorched earth policy and then somebody will raise their hand in the back of the room and say, well, there's not a plant on this planet that doesn't have uh, fungus and bacteria living on their root system that's converting the soil into nutrients for that plant to live. And we live because of the plants, not only from oxygen in the air or 
but we live by them as food or as part of the food chain. So this is one of the really dire issues current in our faces right now is that horrible glyphosate pesticide uh, from Monsanto, now called Bayer, and it's poisoning the microbiome of the soil that is putting the nutrients into the food, and then when you eat that food, which 90% of corn now is uh, genetically modified and has glyphosate, and now when you eat it, you're disturbing your gut microbiome, and um, what's called the shikimate pathway that they said insects have, but humans don't, so the pesticide is safe. But uh, the problem is our gut bacteria are our intermediaries. I don't think we really can say anymore, you are what you eat. You have to say, you are what your bacteria eat, because they're the ones rendering your food into the microscopic particles that your microvilli take up and bring into your body as nutrients. So you get the metabolites, you get the foods, the the three uh, primary macronutrients and all the micronutrients. Um, The majority of them are being processed by bacteria. So when we upset that balance, we're literally estranging ourselves from the nurture and nourishment of, of the earth. So this is the onslaught today where we're picking on the bacteria. I mean, think about it this way. We've all grown up watching TV commercials telling us we have to kill the bacteria that cause plaque in our teeth. And so they sell us mouthwash so we feel comfortable kissing. Uh, we, we buy mouthwash so we don't offend people, we've got to kill that plaque-causing bacteria. And we use toothpaste. Colgate went so far as to put a horrendous pesticide, I mean, I'm sorry, an antibiotic called triclosan in their toothpaste. And literally, if a child ate the tube of toothpaste, the child would die. That's how poisonous one toothpaste of Colgate, uh, triclosan toothpaste, is and was. And then that doggone antibiotic, it's turning up in the municipal water, it's getting through the water purification, it's getting into the earth uh, from everybody, you know, spitting uh, toothpaste down the sink, and so forth. So the the romance with these antibiotics has got to quit um, because it'll push humanity to the very brink. And now we're, thanks to science, we're now starting to understand. We had to create the superbugs that unfortunately have eaten up the bodies of, you know, from celebrities to strong, healthy people that people miss. And now we have to realize that the bacteria can outthink and literally outthink and outadapt to what the poisons are that we're throwing at them. So we know now in science we've got to quit looking for the next antibiotic that can kill more, you know, go go the next generation of vancomycin and, and, and keep trying to get one step ahead because the bacteria uh, are just so much better at adapting. They quorum sense. They, that's the name of what it, the bacteria do. They sample that antibiotic. They quorum sense, which means they, just, they, they tell all the other bacteria exactly how to reprogram their genes so that they're immune to it. And they can do that faster than we can create antibiotics. So now it's time to go back and look at the model. And the model is each person should be responsible for their own gut microbiome. And the better your gut microbiome is, the more healthy you are to a certain extent um, to adapt and survive and, and live a healthy life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there to see if you have a question, Richard, because uh, from there someone would say, well, what happened to the Maya and the Aztecs when, you know, new bugs came over and, um, and then they died? You know, why, why didn't their microbiomes take care of it? So it's, it's a little bit for me to say it's oversimplistic, but it's still, I think, a universal truth. We have to build the best microbiome 
so your person who came out of surgery and, and had antibiotics, it's, it's the, the luck of the draw. It's what needs to be done. But now uh, she, I think, um, needs to really be looking at the prebiotics and using probiotics for two or three months to really get the gut back on track after the, the collateral damage. You know, we, we see this with the human species. We go in, like in World War II, a bomb and level a town, and 20 years later it's back and thriving. So that's what can happen. That's nature's principle. So I'm not a gloom and doom person about, oh, the antibiotics have killed all the good things and we're all doomed. It's just now we have to get away from the antibiotics. We need to learn to use the herbs. And... Um, because they're, they're nature's true medicines, and they can handle 99% of the time. I just made that number up, but a big part of the time, the herbs can help us with our illnesses. And then we have antibiotics as a advanced medical therapy should. We need it, and that would be a blessing for people who, who mm -hmm. desperately need it. Yeah. So I'm hoping that we'll learn as a species how to employ the tools and power that we have from science. I I like that idea very much. We're going to take a very short commercial break, and I have a an open a question, a clarification, and a question. But we we'll be right back. Have you had enough? Our civil and health rights are being ignored at every turn. More than ever, alternative health care services are needed. Please accept our invitation to be a part of the renovation of health care in America. Guardian Party members receive free software, free online classes, free monthly newsletter, free forum access. For more about Health for the People, by the People, visit us at www.guardiansofthepeople.com. My... Kind of reminder, I'll call this, when you were talking about fermented foods and things like sauerkraut and stuff, that people really make sure some of the old school sauerkrauts that you find in a jar in the pickle section or that or others are pasteurized. So you really want to make sure, just look at the label and you'll find some brands at most stores now, there are multiple brands of fermented foods. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, to make sure that your fermented food has not been pasteurized, because if it's pasteurized, it's, you know, fancy vegetables. <laughs> well, they kill all the bugs, right? That's what pasteurization does. So, yeah, right. it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous yeah. to pasteurize sauerkraut <laughs> because the whole purpose of the kraut was for the belly and the, the fermented yeah. vegetable as a fermented vegetable and the bacteria that's what started it and then somebody figured they could just kill it and put it in a jar and then you could put it on your hot dog <laughs> and uh so we've um as a species um gosh i don't know since in the 1940s we have just systematically uh and literally checklist systematically ruined every food that nature can make it's funny in, in my mind, if you, if you had unpasteurized sauerkraut in your hot dog, you might have a better chance with that hot dog. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you know what? Um, there's actually the microbes in, um, in the sauerkraut. This is, I think we, we think of German people eating a lot of sauerkraut, but remember they also ate a lot of pork. And yeah. there's something about the krauts, um, I mean the, the sauerkraut, that um, helps the body digest and avoid the, any uh, damages from the hot dog or the whatever, the, the pork uh, that was being consumed as well. So the two go together uh, and, and, and makes it more safe and effective. And we find in our ancient traditions, people often knew indigenous ways to remove the the danger and increase the variations of foods that could be eaten. I mean, just think, how did anyone learn, learn to eat poke salad? Right? Poke root is extremely toxic. It turns into a great medicine, and there's many cases where people have reported cancer cures uh, from poke root. But 
or herbally, but the thing is, somebody learned you have to boil it three times. And so in, in indigenous cultures more in the deep south of the United States, people will pick this poisonous plant and throw it in the pot and cook it and throw it in the pot and cook it and throw it in the pot, and then they eat it, and it's a good food of what's left um, of it called poke salad. And um, and so we've learned in Jamaica, the Aki, A-K-E-E, uh, very, very toxic, very poisonous fruit. It tastes like scrambled eggs, by the way. It looks like scrambled eggs when you take it out of the seed. But they learned as long as you cook it, it neutralizes the toxins. So our indigenous cultures learned that if people, they didn't know a, a lectin from a lignin, but... They weren't worried about lectins because they were soaking the seeds. And so they took away the antiproteolytic effect of seeds and made them a good food by soaking them overnight. And often that water had bacteria in it, and we let the bacteria work on it. Now we can step our toe into the gluten issue because there's so many pundits now damning all gluten, damning all grains for cross-reactivity and, you know, holding up the the celiac people and, and all of this. But wait a minute, we're talking about the staff of life. We're talking about uh, maybe 6,000-year-old grain that supported the evolution of, of humanity. It, it might be responsible for building cities and libraries and hospitals uh, and going down that road with humanity, the grain and the ability to not have to be nomadic. And so now we would find that if we took an ancient strain of wheat, which may only have four to eight chromosomes, and ferment it and let the bacteria work on it, and then grind it, and then as you make your dough, let the bacteria like your yeast starter, you know, you let bacteria and microbes work on it some more, and now you can have pancakes and muffins and, and breads, and if you're just not flat out genetically celiac, your level of inflammation is not going up from eating a, a wholesome grain. See, the problem in the U.S. is our wheat, I believe right now has 64 chromosomes, and we're allergic to most of them, the gliadin, the gluten, uh, the wheat-like agglutinin factors, all in this wheat that we hybridized. And then you think, well, why did we mess with the wheat so much? Well, we wanted it to grow 18 inches tall for the thrasher. We wanted the glutens so we could make a more chewy uh, pizza crust or a croissant. And and so we've we've modified the plant to where now many, many people are allergenic, but for the person who uh, doesn't really have uh, a wheat or gluten sensitivity, if they just return to the ancient strains, which can be purchased in 25-pound bags and have some fun like the little red hen, um, you know, soak it, let the bacteria work, dry it. And that's where you get a little food dehydrator and then grind it in the mill. Make your flour, make your bread. Uh, that way you, you're not uh, in a life where you never, ever, ever can have a pizza again or you never can have a biscuit or a muffin or something. So I know I just, I get a lot of patients that, you know, are just bemoaning that someone told them they couldn't have grain. You see, the bacteria are the key, and the bacteria is what our indigenous cultures were using. The fermented, uh, I forget the name, in, in the African cultures, the grain that made the beer that was almost like a runny oatmeal. I mean, you had, it was thick and gooey and, and had quite a kick with some alcohol, too, but it was sustenance, it was nourishment. And the bacteria made it very, very healthy. So we find in, in so many of the cultures, the yogurt, the kefir, uh, the fermented foods, the borscht, the fermented beet, the kvass um, from the steppes and the, the Russia area, and certainly the, the, the Chinese and Japanese 
and the Koreans all had even fermented fish sauces. So when we, when we look throughout all these cultures, everybody was culturing. Now, as we got estranged from that and decided there was nothing to it and we've hybridized plants, we're in a whole different league of trouble in the tummy. And boy, howdy, uh, the gastrointestinal tract uh, symptoms today are just unbelievably pandemic. So that's where we, we stand today as we've tried to change our food faster than we can evolve and that's why you have people saying, I'm going to go back to the traditional diet, or I'm going to go back to the ancestral diet, or the paleo diet, or anything that refers to the past. And then we find the foods are compatible with our bacteria and with our cells. I'll, I'll toss in that I, I happen to be fortunate enough that I have a local baker who makes a wild yeast, which means that you make your dough and then you expose it to the air and the wild yeast that are in the ambient air. It's a slower process, uh, but he actually uses einkorn, which is the original ancient grain, wheat, and makes uh, baguettes out of it. And I can eat that and have no issue of any kind, no bloating, no digestive issues, happy, joy-filled, amazingly great bread. Uh, if I eat regular bread, not happy. Sure. So, See, the, the bacteria break yeah. down the gluten, and the gluten in the einkorn is very, very simple, and it's not all the hybridized uh, gluten genes. It's actually the chromosomes that are bothering people so much, and so it's our alterations of it. Yeah, and that's how you got sourdough out of the San Francisco Bay Area. It was just that strain yeah. of yeast was sour, and uh, and so they got famous for the sourdough. And uh, that's a strain of of yeast. So yeah, you you nailed it, and I hope that brings hope to people. Um, sometimes I get a little frustrated when I see the constant uh, the pundits, you know, trying to teach people how to eradicate every grain out of their lives. Uh, I I've kind of hit a point. I don't know if any of your listeners would sympathize or empathize with me, but I'm kind of tired of finding fault with everything we're supposed to put in our mouths. When we understand that every food has to grow, every plant has to grow in nature, and they have to fight fungus, they have to fight bad bacteria, they have to embrace good fungus and good bacteria, and probably viruses as well. And and so they have grown up out of that that challenge to adapt and survive. So every food has some way to survive in its niche. It has it's prickly, <laughs> you know. It's got you know the ability to throw a punch. And so then people find the fist of every food. And they start saying, oh, this is terrible, it's unsuitable, the tomato's going to give your heart lining trouble, the grapefruit's going to ruin your kidneys, and on and on. And we're, we're really <laughs> casting dispersion on nature's wonderful bounty. And the, probably the easiest way to dodge through all that is you've got to get back to your gut instinct. You eat that food. How did it work for you and your genetics? If it worked, you got something good. So einkorn uh, breads, for you, it works. So no matter who's raving on about cross-reactivity of grains, your truth and your gut truth is that it works for you. So we should actually be going out into nature like our forerunner hunter-gatherers and try to find every food, like the poke salad and the aki, and, and, the, and the, the almond is terribly poisonous, you know, in nature. And uh, these, these plants have to grow to discourage the animals. Seeds have antiproteolytics, so the birds don't eat it all, because they don't get nourished that well. The birds go off and look for a worm, uh, and they don't just completely destroy the, the seed crops. And so nature has found this incredible balance, and by heeding that, we can learn 
to get our gut instinct tuned up and find what works. I like flowers. I mean, I'll pick a hibiscus stamen and put it in a salad. Pick a violet, put it in the salad. I love getting more hunter-gatherer type foods, and every once in a while I run into something. It just doesn't sit right, the taste isn't right, so I, I mark it off the list. But um, our list of foods is shrinking. You know, uh, the dietitians have everybody eating just two vegetables, french fries and ketchup. And um, <laughs> I'm a, I am actually have an RD in the state of New York, so um, okay. yeah. I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm looking in the mirror. Uh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a clinical nutritionist. Um, but anyway, uh, the the point is, is we really should be looking for more and more and more, but it's like something about the human psyche. Everybody needs something to hate. And so when I'm surfing the Internet and I'm finding all of these really smart scientific pundits that are running their blogs and running their campaigns and, you know, there's a great body of science and knowledge to disseminate. But it, they've, they've done it without the true respect of, of nature's plan. And I think the, the human being is a diversity, diversity, diversity. We need biodiversity in our guts. There's just evidence all over this planet that biodiversity in our culture is healthy, and that's going to get somebody riled up somewhere, but we only have to look at some of the best and brightest people, and they're uh, multi-ethnic, and some of the great scientific achievements, and so forth, that I think there's a law or a principle of biodiversity in nature, and so that means more different foods and not just staying locked in on the you know, burger day, taco day, <laughs> whatever a lot of uh, uh, people are doing, pizza day, um, we've got to reach out and our foundational diet does go back to the plants. But I just see that in so many ways, both scientifically and in practice, that we should be, going, when we go to the grocery store, I, I think we should come home each time we go to the grocery store with some food we've never had before. Bring kohlrabi home or, a, you know, a, a star fruit, anything, uh, just to get that experience, just to get those genetic structures to our gut microbiome. You know, hey, chew on this for a while. See what you think. And um, I think that's a, a good, healthy practice. Well, and I would, I kind of, I don't know why this comes to mind, but I kind of think, you know, like eat like a bear. You know, bears go into nature and they go into waters and they eat wild salmon. What's better than wild salmon in terms of its fat profiles and its exposure? You know, salmon go from swimming in the ocean to swimming in fresh water and minerals. And I mean, they have an amazing spectrum, you know, an actual wild fish, not the farmed, I can't use that word, farmed stuff. Um, or that, and they go into nature and they, they walk around and they, you know, sniff berries and they eat berries and they eat. I'm not saying we have to eat like bears necessarily. I'm just in terms of look at how nature eats. Watch any animal in nature and they'll walk around and they eat variable things. They don't go to the same place. I every ate the day. neighbor's cat and, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> just like a bear. There is that. So I you're know. so right. <laughs> and and uh, that's what I'm saying is we, we've not touched a food that we haven't totally tried to destroy. When we look at the farm salmon, which is what's on the menu, folks, when you go in, you go, oh, boy, I'm going to eat salmon. You really need to think twice about the antibiotics, the glyphosate artificial food they've been given, the cramped conditions, the fact that they have to have so many antibiotics because they're packed into smaller than natural uh, habitats. And, and science can show us that your farm-raised salmon does not have the omega-3s like wild does. The, the meat is pale, so they're doing to the salmon what they, to make it more orange. They're feeding it um, what is taxin thins or something? Um, they're feeding it algaes, red algaes and things, uh, to to stain the the meat like they feed colored food to the poor chickens that are stacked up in the warehouse cages to take that pale 
nutrient-depleted yolk and make it look more yellow. And so, you know, they, the writing is on the wall. You know, if you have to cover up and you have to uh, doctor up just to get eye appeal of the food, you're way lost on the nutrient content. So the, the Franken-salmon um, is huge concern. And unfortunately, when you pull out that menu in the restaurant, and there it is, uh, we think, oh, good, a salmon, that's such a good, oh, it says, you know, fresh Atlantic salmon. Well, they farmed it in the Atlantic, <laughs> and they shipped it fresh. You know, fresh Atlantic yeah. salmon doesn't mean it's not farmed. Right. And they'll even try to sometimes tout the farm, going, oh, this comes from this farm, so you can trust yeah. that it's a good salmon. No. <laughs> so I'm so glad you brought that up. But that's just another case in point, Richard, where we, we've, humanity, it seems, has always had to hunt and gather to get food. And we're back today hunting and gathering to get real food. And it comes back to having a garden, at least a, a small garden, even in, on the apartment balcony. Yeah, something. Uh, I'm I'm shocked to find. Well, I'm kind of not, uh, but also shocked at the same that we're out of time. Uh, we'll definitely have you back. There's so many other conversations. There are so many things we didn't even get into. Uh, you know, CBD, but that's we can't start now. So, how do people work with you? How do people find you? Uh, where can people see more about your books, seminars, and consultations? I actually. Um have material on the internet uh, on um, I'm looking to well I know we're out of time uh, I'm going to say go to uh, www.wellnesswiz.com and I'll, I'll, I'll see about having some things there um, I've got what they call a, a landing page on the, the gut microbiome where people can uh, get an article, How's Your Psychobiome, uh, where a lot of this uh, is explained. And there's also for the hungry on the bacteria subject, uh, appleadaypress.com has a number of my articles, many are fee-based, so, but you can download excerpts and so forth and see uh, quite a bit of content um, on this subject from there, and um, I'm gonna, I'm just going to be on a, a campaign here for the next few years, um, bringing out some of the latest science on the the bacteria, the probiotics, the prebiotics, and what people can do to rejuvenate their intestines, you might say, uh, for mental health uh, and for every other kind of health. Yay. Very, you know, team gut, happy guts. <laughs> I never thought that yeah. could be a, you know, that I almost wear that as a baseball cap, happy guts. Because uh, it is so, you know, boy. Yeah. Strong immune system. Well, a person's heart's through their stomach. <laughs> so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things. Um, yeah. But that's what we, we've got to, we've got to do this now. We have to take this empowerment of knowledge, empowerment of science, and this understanding that for the last 100, and, 100 to 150 years, we have been waging war against one of our most uh, favored allies in our health. And I think the, the sad state of health in the United States right now is reflective of that, that we, we took a wrong step. It came from Louis Pasteur and uh, Dr. Lister and some of those early ones that uh, we decided that uh, every every uh, the only good bug is a dead bug, and now we realize that that was you know sub, sub, you know errant thinking, and now we have a chance to go back and recultivate and terraform our GI tracts where we now have good brain health and good mood, and we'll, it'll bring out our true selves. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's a great close right there, bringing out our true selves. That was great, Jack. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll have you. We'll talk backstage, and you'll be back soon because we have so many other parts to talk about this. But for now, yeah, y'all take a great care. Rest of the weekend. Thank you very much. 
All right, everybody. Bye-bye.